Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Hey, good morning. Thank you very much for being here. I got to say, I am tired of being fearful and being told to be fearful. I'm tired of media, politicians, and experts perpetuating a cycle of fear without empowering individuals. And so my name is Tim Boyette, and I'm going to be speaking today, and my message today is empowerment. My message is also about repentance. So the, first of all, I'm a physician. I'm a local physician. Um, I first have to give this medical legal disclaimer that anything I talk about today uh, should not be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. I see, hear some laughter. Is that okay? So um, laughter is probably okay because we, we know that medical legal, we're in a medical legal environment where I have, I've got to say these things. But what I would say is pray about things, ask questions, and do your research regarding health decisions you may make with respect to your life especially during a time such as this. As well, consult your physician if you desire or, or consider making changes, uh, but know that this talk is, is for educational purposes only, but is to give some information where you may uh, consider learning about some more things. So I grew up in Miami, Florida. My parents actually grew up in Pensacola, Florida. They uh, were high school sweethearts at Pensacola High School right across the, uh, the bridge here. They raised myself, my two brothers, and my sister down in Miami, and where my dad was a physician who recently retired. But I found myself following one of my brothers uh, to the University of Florida, as well as Emmett Smith, because I was a huge Gator fan because of Emmett and my brother going there. So I looked up to both my brothers. One went to Vanderbilt. I certainly wasn't smart enough to get into that college after high school. Uh, so I went to the University of Florida and, and actually met my wife, Crystal, there. Um, I actually met her on a dance floor at a bar. And if some of you have seen me dance, you know that I'm kind of an average to below average dancer, but somehow the dancing skills got the girl, and now we've got two boys, Denver and Wesley. Denver's 13, and Wesley is 10. Uh, you can see I started out in obstetrics and gynecology, then switched gears into radiology after a year. Part of that was due to infertility, and I'll speak to that in just a few minutes. But now I am a practicing radiologist. I also have some extensive experience and education in integrative and functional medicine, and I want to speak to that a little bit and how it ties into what we're experiencing. So <clears throat> I want you to think about this question during this talk. And you don't have to answer, you don't have to raise your hands or anything. Just think about, do you feel empowered at this time? And so um, in Scripture, Timothy is being encouraged by Paul in, on his missionary journey because Timothy has more of a spirit of timidity and fear uh, that some people would see. And I relate to him because growing up, I kind of always felt like that. I was the, the last born of four. I was always the smallest and usually the youngest in groups. And so I kind of, I, I latched on to this verse probably two decades ago. And I've continued to meditate on it for years and years. And it's so neat to see it come to fruition now at this time. And so I want to read it. Uh, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. It's also interpreted as sound mind. Now, I want to go through the Greek just a little bit. In the Greek, power is dunamis, which stands for miraculous work and mighty power. Love is agape and stands for charity, love, 
and self-discipline is sophronismos, which stands for discipline, sound mind, and self-discipline. And so I'd ask the question further, do we feel like we're powerful, loving, and full of sound mind during this time of challenge that we're, that we're navigating? I would say many people do, but I would also say that many people probably do not feel that they're powerful right now because of the fear, because of the anxiety, and because of the spirit of the age that we're living through. And so I want to shift gears and talk about why um, one of the reasons I switched from uh, obstetrics and gynecology into radiology. I love delivering babies. I wanted to be an obstetrician from about the third year of medical school, but since I was a kid, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. My dad was a gynecologist, and so that probably was part of it as well, but I love delivering babies. So I found myself in an obstetrics and gynecology residency at a time whenever my wife and I, Crystal, were trying to have our first child, trying to conceive. We had gotten married in 1999. We started trying to have children in about 2001. And after 18 months, we were diagnosed with infertility while I was an obstetrician resident at Vanderbilt. During that time, my wife and I went through some challenges, some significant turmoil, psychological um, stress and, and anxiety and depression, and the thought of, hey, I may not ever get to have my own natural child, but I'm delivering other people's children. So it was very challenging for myself, for my wife, and so I had to kind of take that into account. And that was part of the reason for my switch into radiology. There were some other reasons as well, but the point is, is that God, um, through this process, opened my eyes because once I became a radiology resident, we continued the infertility workup and we went through about seven cycles of infertility medications to try and get pregnant, all to no, no avail. So we went through four years and about seven cycles of infertility treatment to try and get pregnant. And we were told essentially at the end of that, it's time to give up because you're not gonna get pregnant. Around that time, <clears throat> I met a psychologist in Gainesville who opened my eyes to some things with respect to the stress system. Uh, she is a Christian and she's a psychologist, but her main role was to open people's eyes to the fact that stress results in disease. And so in my wife's case and in my case, working challenging jobs and being stressed about trying to get pregnant probably caused a lot of problems with respect to um, our fertility. So she worked on that with my wife and myself and then we also changed our diet a little bit. We, I exercised a little bit more. I cut down alcohol. I cut down caffeine. I tried to sleep more when I could and then exercise more. And then with all the stress management stuff and the lifestyle changes, we got pregnant naturally four months later. And so these are our two boys. You can see Crystal in the bottom left down there. And Denver is uh, in the foreground, bottom right, and Wesley in the back, uh, back left. And so Wesley was conceived naturally as well. And this is, again, after six, five, six years of infertility workups and treatments, just kind of proving that God's ways are not our ways. But what this also did is it opened my eyes to a whole other field of medicine that um, I have enjoyed learning more and more about, and that's integrative and functional medicine, which talks about the root causes of disease, and it basically imparts the facts that there are root causes of the diseases that we see in our country and in our world. So it opened up my eyes that stress does cause disease, poor diet, inflammation, all those things. And specifically with what's going on right now with COVID, it's very enlightening because a lot of these lifestyle issues are associated with worse prognosis in patients who end up coming down with this infection, COVID. And so I wanted to, uh, to explore that more. And this has been something that's, that started years ago, but it's kind of coming to fruition at this point. So kind of jumping into uh, to what's happening now, has there ever been a time such as this when we're dealing with uncertainty, chaos, confusion, separation, isolation, and ultimately fear and anxiety? 
and I was having a discussion with a, a friend of mine, a, a lady in her 80s. She's very wise and, and well-read. Um, Miss Doris Brown, she lives in Gainesville, and she said that to me. Um, she said, Tim, I was talking on the phone with her a few weeks catching up, and she said, I want to let you know, Tim, I've never seen a time such as this in my life. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Here's a lady in her 80s who has lived through World War II, parts of it, the 50s, the 60s, Korea, Cold War, Vietnam, 9-11, and she's telling me that this is probably the most challenging time she's ever lived through. So it's eye-opening to me that people of all ages are having challenges with fear right now because of the uncertainty. So um, in my walk in medicine the past two decades, I've kind of come upon three questions that kind of come to my mind whenever I talk to a patient, either at the hospital or outside of the hospital. And if I can ask these questions, I oftentimes can get an idea of whether or not that, patient, that person is leading more towards disease or more towards health. And what's even more timing or time relevant with respect to what's going on is a lot of these questions have to do with people who are more susceptible to having worse outcomes with COVID. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a time-sensitive issue with respect to these questions. And those questions are, what do I put in my mouth? What do I allow in my mind? And what do I do with my body? And so I want to shift gears just for a second and just say that there's an extensive amount of noise and information out there right now. Um, we are overwhelmed with the political issues, the media issues, the social media, and there is so much noise and chatter in our ears and in our minds that it's difficult for us to get calm and listen to God. And God never speaks in the, the loud voices. He speaks in the stillness. And I've noticed with preparing for this talk, I had to get quiet. I had to get very quiet and listen quietly because he doesn't shout ever. But he, he talks to us in the stillness. So it's an encouragement during this time. Find times of, uh, where you can you know, get quiet with God and, and learn to listen. And so in starting with what do I put in my mouth, now one of the first things I want to talk about with, with people and whenever I talk to patients is to try and make sure they've got enough water and hydration. So adequate hydration is known to be associated with better energy, lower or higher levels of detoxification, as well as better mental function. So if people have more hydration and they're drinking enough water, they typically will see benefits in their overall health. I will say that if you have a history of heart disease, liver disease, or kidney disease, Obviously, talk to your doctor because if you're on medications for those things, you don't want to have too much water. So it's always a consideration that, you know, you don't want to be dehydrated, but you don't want to have too much water, particularly if you're on medications that may have an impact on your hydration. Also recommend lowering sugar or avoiding sugar in your drinks, as well as avoiding diet drinks and fruit juices, which have large amounts of sugar. And this is, again, not to beat anybody over the head, but just to encourage that lower amounts of sugar can definitely be beneficial to your overall health and help you fight off this infection if, God forbid, you get this, uh, this virus. Um, and I'll speak to that in just a few minutes. <clears throat> So when I introduce the uh, topic of fasting blood sugar and diabetes, so uh, fasting blood sugar basically means the amount of sugar in your blood after a fast. So after eight to 10 hours, typically overnight, uh, a doctor or clinical provider will check your blood sugar and less than 90 is optimal and greater than 125 is type two diabetes. And there's a spectrum between there where you're going from normal and optimal to suboptimal and type two diabetes. And in that realm, 
is kind of a time or a red flag to start making some changes that may benefit you overall. The implication with this is that the higher amount of blood sugar over time leads to the tissues to be insensitive to the hormone insulin that's produced by the pancreas that, they, that can lower the blood sugar and, and, and normalize the system. And the higher blood sugar over a period of time results in brain disease as in the form of dementia potentially, heart disease, kidney disease, blood vessel disease, as well as immune system dysfunction. So it's just a, a take home point that higher sugar oftentimes is detrimental to health. And um, here's just a pictorial. I wanted just to show the type one and type two diabetes. People have probably heard of the definitions uh, um, a little bit, but I just want to cover it just quickly. Type one diabetes is where you actually do not have functioning uh, insulin producing cells. So therefore the patient does not have enough insulin or any insulin in the body. So the blood sugar stays elevated and these patients actually have to have injected insulin in order to live. Type two diabetes, which is kind of a scourge in the West, and it's, a, I would say, an epidemic in the West, is that over a long period of time of having too much sugar in the body by diet and lifestyle, the body gets overwhelmed by the sugar over years and decades, and then after its period of time, the body doesn't listen to the insulin anymore. And then at that point, the sugar stays elevated, and then you have the end stages of disease, the immune dysfunction, the brain disease, the heart disease, kidney disease, blood vessel disease, etc. And then to kind of correlate in and tie into what's taking place right now, the fear we have of this virus, COVID. And you think, okay, is it affecting or is it uh, playing a role in what's taking place with respect to this infection? That is, this blood sugar. And so there is some evidence. There's a lot of growing evidence and data that's showing that higher levels of blood sugar and diabetes are associated with worse outcomes in patients with COVID. So here's some data showing that in March of this past year that patients admitted to the hospital with COVID that had diabetes or elevated fasting blood sugars actually had mortality rate close to 30% compared to 6% in patients who did not have diabetes or elevated fasting sugar. That's remarkable and that's significant and it's been shown to be somewhat consistent with respect to the data. So the bottom line is diabetes can cause and sugar issues can cause people to be more susceptible to a worse outcome with COVID. So kind of, I want to jump into this hangry stuff because I know people have talked about hangry. Just for a show of hands, who's heard of the term hangry? The hungry and angry, about everybody has raised their hands. So hungry and angry, in a sense, means that you are hungry and you want to harm anybody who prevents you from eating something. And so I have been there, and I know many people, probably most people have been there. But hangry essentially means that that hangry feeling essentially means that your blood sugar is in highs and lows, and it's significantly spiking and lowering in mountains and valleys. And that can result in these feelings of cravings and crashes and can result in mood disorders and energy problems and all sorts of issues uh, with, with the body, bodily functions as well as our brain functions. And so it, the take-home point for this is that eating typically too much sugar, too much processed food, and eating too often during the day can result in these sugar swings, these highs and lows that manifest in the mood swings, the cravings, the crashes, and the hangry symptom. Uh, so a tip for this is to lower the amount of sugar that you're eating, lower the amount of carbohydrates you're eating potentially, look at your food labels and realize kind of what's going in your mouth and pray about it. Ask for discernment as to whether or not you should be eating certain things. And I'm not trying to beat anybody over the head, but I'm trying to just simply empower people with 
the thought process and the discernment to think about what we put in our mouth as being fuel as opposed to being something uh, just for pleasure. But it can be pleasurable as well, and it can taste good and still not be you know, bad for you. So that's just something to consider. Um, also, eating enough protein and enough fats. I want to have a little caveat here. Many people in this country eat, um, I would say, not enough good fats, and I'll say most men in this country probably eat enough protein. Some eat too much, and too much protein actually can then get can get converted into sugar, which then can go down that process of elevating the blood sugar and, and resulting in a higher risk of type 2 diabetes. So moderating the protein and getting enough protein but not too much is beneficial. A lot of women don't get enough protein, so it's a consideration to, to consider that if you're, if you're making any changes. I want to also shift gears and talk a little bit about fasting. So fasting, as Christians, we know has significant spiritual benefits, um, but it also has impressive uh, physical, medical, and physiologic benefits. Fasting can increase our metabolism, improve our immune function, and actually can decrease the insulin and sugar that we have. So it normalizes our sugar, it levels out the blood sugar swings, and actually can benefit and prevent you from having those angry, hangry type, type symptoms once you start doing it or are consistent with doing it. What I like to recommend is intermittent fasting, and that's basically eating over 8 to 10 hours a day and then not eating before or after that time period. Um, that's one of the first recommendations I usually give people if they're trying to cut, uh, you know, cut their eating and also improve their blood sugar. I will say that if you're a type 2 diabetic, if you have any history of uh, blood sugar issues or if you're on medications for blood sugar or if you're on insulin, you've got to be very careful with fasting because fasting will lower your blood sugar. And when you have the blood sugar lowered, you may need less medications or insulin. And so you got to be careful with that and have, be monitored by a clinician or a practitioner because you don't want to get too low. That could be uh, a, a problem. And so you want to watch that closely. Uh, so as far as benefits or things to consider doing in order to diminish your overall sugar, lowering sugar in your diet, lowering high fructose corn syrup is very beneficial, overall lowering the carbohydrates in your diet because carbohydrates lead to sugar um, is beneficial, and uh, lowering refined grains. More vegetables, some fruit because a lot of fruit can have a lot of sugar. Um, so those are like apples, oranges, and bananas, but berries, uh, blueberries, blackberries, and stuff like that typically have lower amounts of, of overall sugar. Um, good fats, olive oil, avocado oil, and I want to just say try and avoid trans fats and vegetable oils. Those can be toxic, and over a period of time, those can, not, those can be detrimental to your overall health. And just a take-home point for here, foods can equal moods. So whenever you have issues with mood disorders, depression, anxiety, things like that, always consider that foods may be an inciting potential um, issue with respect to someone's moods. Because foods, people can be sensitive and or allergic to foods and not even realize it, or there may be additives or things in the foods that's triggering something like symptoms of anxiety, depression, or stress symptoms. So consider that as well as you may consider changes. Um, with cold and flu season coming up, I want to specifically talk about vitamin D3, vitamin C, and zinc. <clears throat> the reason being is because these can be found and are found to be beneficial in immune protection as well as uh, benefits of, of the overall system. And with flu season coming around, you want to try and optimize your vitamin D3 as best possible. I would recommend getting your doctor or healthcare provider to check your vitamin D3 levels and see if you're in a normal to optimal range. I would suggest that probably a lot of people are low in vitamin D3 because one, 
we've kind of been inside a lot with, with the COVID isolation issues, so people have not been outdoors probably as much. And number two, overall in the West, people are known to be lower in vitamin D3 level because our lifestyles are typically indoor-driven. We typically live indoors, obviously. We oftentimes work indoors, and we don't get enough sun exposure. Vitamin D3 actually is, is uh, made in our body by our liver, our kidneys, and our skin. And therefore, if you're not outside much, your vitamin D3 level is going to probably be pretty low. Vitamin C is important for immune system function as well as zinc. And what I labeled on the doses here, these are the upper tolerable limits of dosing as listed by the Institute of Medicine. So these should be able to be safe for anybody to take, and that's what the Institute of Medicine has stated. But the point is talk to your doctor and, again, check your vitamin D3 levels or have your physician check, uh, check their level, your levels. So I want to shift gears here and, and talk a little bit about um, after, you know, what to put in our mouth, what do we allow in our mind? So I want to introduce to you my son, Denver, and he's in the foreground here, number 12. And uh, neat thing, so last year he decided to play tackle football for the first time. It's his first time ever playing tackle football. He had to go out there and learn the lingo, learn the offense, learn the defense, learn the, the, his roles on the team. And it was pretty challenging because the first few weeks he had trouble just kind of keeping up and knowing where to be. But he kept after it. He kept with a great attitude. He kept working hard and doing well in the drills. And he learned, he grew, and he stayed responsible. And by doing that, after about the second or third game, when he hadn't been playing much the first few games, after the second or third game, he was starting and contributing in a large way on the, on the team. And he became kind of a go-to guy for blocking and for other parts of, of the, uh, of the uh, team. And so it's kind of neat to see that he didn't let his circumstances dictate his thought process. And he allowed his mind to then strengthen himself to then become a contributing factor on the team. And it manifested on the field. And so I want to shift gears for, uh, this is my son, Wesley. And a year ago, whenever we were thinking about moving back to, uh, to Pensacola Gulf Breeze, um, he actually came to me and said, you know what, Dad, I really don't like being out in the water much. And so I said, well, you know, what's what's going on with that? And so he said that he's kind of scared of being in the water. And, and I get that. There's big fish out there. There's sharks. There's, there's other things we can't see. And so, um, you know, we kind of talked through it and prayed through it a little bit and just kind of let him run his course with that and uh, ended up moving here, obviously moved back a year ago. But a few months ago, we were out on our boat and he, um, and this is a picture of us and that's heading out west. You can see, you can't see it, but Fort Pickens is on the left and the Naval Air Station's on the right. And um, he just jumped out there, grabbed our boogie board, went out there and said, hey, I want you to tow me on the kneeboard. And uh, I did that for about 20 minutes and he tore it up and, you know, had a great time. And he got back on the boat and I said, Wesley, what happened? And he said something to the fact of, I didn't want to be scared and I wanted to fight my fear. And I said, here's my nine-year-old preaching to me about fear and fighting your fear always. So just these, these are two stories of considerations of monitor what's in your mind because your meditations, the meditations of your heart and what you think about end up manifesting in your life. And I'll talk a little bit about a verse that correlates with that. So just shifting gears also talking about stress and what we allow in our mind, there's evidence that shows that three quarters of physician visits, that's to primary care physicians, family doctors, internal medicine doctors, is related to something having to do with stress. And one of the biggest causes of stress is mental and emotional stress or turmoil. The things that predispose people to mental and emotional stress are novelty and unpredictability, a perception of loss of control, 
and a threat to one's ego. So I got a question. Have we been experiencing any of these? I mean, I would say number one and two, probably 100% of us are experiencing. I know I am. We have a novel, unpredictable situation. Every single day we wake up to something potentially different going on and maybe some new news or new bad news about something else happening. We have a perception of loss of control. We are not in control. We can control and think of the things we think about and our immediate surrounding circumstances and reality, but we can't control what's taking place in Washington or across the, the globe or in China or wherever else or with respect to what's going to happen with this virus. So we are at a loss of control. So our stress levels are probably really high. And I want to go back a little bit to talking about the parasympathetic nervous system and sympathetic nervous system. I don't think I got into that. But with fertility and what we found with, with Crystal and myself is whenever we were found to have the infertility, the psychologist that spoke to us tried to get us more into the parasympathetic nervous system with her counseling and with her, her methods and lifestyle kind of changes. The parasympathetic nervous system is the rest and recovery component of the nervous system, and the sympathetic nervous system is the fight or flight component of the nervous system. So if a tiger comes in that door over there, First of all, I'm going to beat all you guys because I'm going this way, right? So I'm going to run that way, but my, my sympathetic nervous system is going to get kicked in gear and make me go that way. Um, similarly, if I'm kind of resting and calm and, and just in, a, in a, a good state, my parasympathetic nervous system is going to be activated. So thinking about back to our fertility, a lot of our fertility was probably related to the fact, and there's some evidence now to show this, that we were stressed continually about the process, and it stimulated our sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight. So kind of going back into where we're right now, three quarters of hospital visits or, or clinical visits, I apologize, are associated with, with stress. I would submit that a majority of people right now, because of COVID and the unpredictability of what's taking place in society, are living in consistent and constant sympathetic nervous system mode. We're in continual fight or flight to some degree. Our alertness is peaked, and it's tough to find ways to get that down. And so that's why I'm, I'm trying to empower people with some of these things. And again, it goes back to diet, thought process, and body function. And so just to kind of shift gears with that and talk about, hey, how do we manage the stress? This verse I read a few years ago, and, uh, and I looked up the, the Blue Letter Bible to try and define the terms because I was interested in this verse. This verse has always piqued my interest. And it's Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Now, in the West, we would think, or I would think, certainly, um, and I did think this, is that the heart means the feelings, but this doesn't translate with what this definition is. The Hebrew of heart is the mind, the will, and the conscience. Therefore, let's reread it. Above all else, guard your mind, guard your will, guard your conscience, because out of it is the wellspring of life, which is where life comes from. And so what it indicates to me is we've got to guard our thoughts, guard our meditations, guard our prayers, guard our eyes, our ears, and what we allow in our mind. And kind of jumping um, into a book that I read many months ago, um, Emmett Fox, The Seven-Day Mental Diet. And in there, he talks about uh, meditating and challenging people to meditate on positive thoughts, optimistic thoughts, constructive thoughts, and kind thoughts. And I added strong because I feel like that there is a continual 
attack, in a sense, on men and women to not be strong and to be uh, strong with our thoughts, with our actions, with our decisions. And so I think that this is a way to kind of moderate what you're thinking of. And, and of course, as Brent mentioned last week, always consider godly thoughts as part of our thinking process. And meditating, in my experience, a positive, optimistic, constructive, kind, and strong, those kind of tie more into godly thoughts in my life. And I tie that into Romans 8, 28 and thinking that, you know, as for, or, or um, God works all things for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so in a sense that anything that's happening that's negative, any circumstances, thank you very much, Mike, um, may have an opportunity for us to learn about and, um, you know, and, and grow from. So if I have something negative happen, a negative circumstance, then I can know that God's going to turn it out for good for me and for his glory because he loves me and he called me according to his purpose. So that makes me then turn around and think, I can think positive even about negative things because I can learn from them. And similarly, going back to the infertility, we have the issue that I learned about the integrative medicine stuff because of the seed that was planted during our challenges with fertility. And so to kind of shift gears from, um, you know, what we're allowing in our mind to what we do with our body, I um, wanted to talk a little bit about uh, things to kind of consider managing during. Um, it, is there like feedback? And I apologize if there's significant feedback. Okay. Um, with chaos, confusion, and a challenging time right now, schedule and routine is vital. And so I would say schedule and routine provides the ability for you and I to have something consistent to go to. So obviously God's word is consistent, um, but what we're seeing, the shifting sands of culture and this virus is not consistent. But having a routine, having a schedule can allow your body to find something consistent every day. Consistent times when you're sleeping, consistent times when you're resting, when you're eating, when you're exercising. You don't have to be legalistic about it, but finding some routine may offer uh, something that you can look forward to and also know to expect every day. Um, exercising three or four days a week, significant benefits of exercise to both heart disease, kidney disease, um, immune system function, and there's even evidence in patients with mood disorders, anxiety, and depression that people who exercise can have as much of a benefit as antidepressants do for their issues. And I'm not saying that medications aren't necessary. That is certainly not what I want to preach here. But what I want to do say is that you can tie both together. And if you don't need medications because of lifestyle changes, and I've seen that in my life as well as helping some others, then that's awesome. But if you need medications and need that component, that's great too. But if you can find a benefit of both and maybe see if you can depend on less of things coming in, that's probably where a lot of people want to be. So I'd encourage people to consider that. Um, and it also the exercise does benefit our immune system. Um, so sun, fresh air, and nature, I want to group that in with recreation. So having all of those, getting outside and getting into nature and finding stuff to do that's just for fun allows us to get more into the parasympathetic nervous system. That's the rest and recovery component of the nervous system, which allows for our body to recharge and allows for our immune system to function in a stronger way. Similarly, sleep, eight to nine hours a night, is very beneficial, and people who are struggling with sleep actually can have poorer immune system functioning and also can lead to higher risks or rates of heart disease. So it's important to always manage your sleep 
and, and selfishly. You actually have to manage it selfishly because if you can't sleep, you can't then function. And so sleeping, I recommend a cool, dark room, uh, typically low temperature and not much or any devices in the room. So try and get rid of your phones and your TVs in your room because they can inhibit the amount of rest that you would get. Uh, I want to end on deep and slow breathing. I would say that you know when someone's anxious or stressed or they're getting ready to do something um, you know that's arduous, their breathing is going to quicken and it's also going to be more shallow. And what that is, is that's an indication that you're more in the sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight component. But by consciously controlling your breathing and being mindful of your thoughts, apologize, mindful of your breathing, you can then trick yourself into going into the parasympathetic nervous system, that rest and recovery. And one of the things that I recommend is a, a breathing exercise that is a, um, it's a slow, deep breathing where you actually inhale in your nose over four seconds and then hold your breath for seven seconds and then exhale over eight seconds. And what that does is it actually stimulates your parasympathetic nervous system to kick into gear and push you more into a rest mode. Your heart rate will go down, your blood pressure will typically go down, and your mind thoughts and your, your mind chatter typically will diminish. And so th these are just some considerations that all can help stress and all can help potentially your immune system function during these times of, of challenge. And one last thing with respect to your body, I want to talk about service. And I bet if you would ask Pastor Brent or Pastor Jeff about how service has been affected during this time, I would venture to say it's been challenging to have and find people who are willing to serve because people are scared. And they're, it's okay to be scared of this virus but to some degree because it is a challenging issue right now and it has caused significant disease in many people and death. But the point is, is when we're not serving, we're always stuck in our heads and we're stuck in what we're dealing with as opposed to helping others lift their burdens. And I would say in my experience is that when I'm serving someone else and not expecting anything in return, I typically am in a place where I am much more whole and I'm feeling much more in line with the Spirit. And that's similar to what Christ talks about in the New Testament, that we are to serve others. And we're kind of supposed to lose ourselves to find ourselves, which is actually doesn't really make sense, but it does make sense whenever you whenever you get into that, that mode. And I'll say, in my experience, um, I've seen it too many times to not be uh, God's perfect coincidence, is that if you're having trouble finding someone to serve, simply pray and ask God to show you who to serve. And I guarantee you he is faithful to show you someone right then and there to serve. And it's happened too many times in my life. You can serve someone in your house. You can serve someone across the street. You can serve someone across the bridge. There are people all over waiting to be served. And when you're serving others, your own trials become put into perspective and in, in, in the right perspective. And so here's a summary just of uh, some of the things I talked about. Um, we're going to try and get this on the uh, StoryPoint webpage. And uh, at some point, there may be a time when I can answer questions or even have some more of a health summit to maybe talk about some of these things and would love some other people who have been involved in the healthcare field to maybe be a part of that. Um, but this is just kind of a start to maybe for empowerment. And I want to shift gears, though, again, into something that was kind of neat um, and talk about a story of this talk. Um, so a few weeks ago, uh, it was back in August, I was asked to give this talk in a different format on Zoom to my mother's Sunday school class in Miami. And when I finished up there, I was thinking, is there something that I can add to this? Um, and I was sitting in church that next Sunday, right over here in the second row. And as Jeff was just getting up to preach, I was praying for God to show me one more thing to add to this talk. And 
just like that, I wrote down the word repentance. And I wrote it down, and I didn't think much of it because I thought, that just doesn't fit with what I was talking about. It doesn't fit with a health talk, you know, with a health empowerment talk. And lo and behold, many people were here, but Pastor Jeff got up and he talked on repentance throughout his entire sermon. So his whole sermon was repentance. And I said, wow, that's got to be confirmation. So I added this in there because it, it truly is a part of this talk um, because, and I love what Jeff talked about, the definition of repentance is the heartbeat of repentance is returning into relationship with the Father, which I've heard other definitions, which uh, would be repentance is to turn away from ourself or turn away from our sin um, and turn to God as sovereign. But I love this definition. I'm not sure if he came up with it or found it somewhere else because it indicates and implies to me that there's an intimacy of the Father with us. And so returning into relationship with the Father and then tying it into the physical, and for me as a physician, and seeing it in my life and in other people's lives, unrepented sin on us or against us uh, or by us can lead to unforgiveness of ourselves and others, and unforgiveness can then lead to further toxic emotions like anger and resentment, which then tie into the stress response, which increase our stress hormones, which then increase blood pressure, and potentially increase our risk of heart attack and stroke. So this is kind of a, I know it's a, it's a multi-step process, but the spiritual can lead to the mental and emotional and then manifest in the physical. And there's extensive evidence to support these things. So thus implying that getting away from our spiritual unforgiveness and unrepentance can actually have physical benefits. Um, and then just in my experience in myself and in others, that I've seen and helped, um, you know, depression is oftentimes thinking about past issues and past harms against you or past, past sins of you on others. And anxiety is fear of the future and the unknown and not knowing what's going to happen in the next second. But being mindful of where we're at right now at this moment can take us away from those thoughts of depression and thoughts of anxiety because we're only thinking about right now and what we can control, which is right now. And so to finish up with a story that ties some of this in, um, one of the biggest things and challenges of being a physician is knowing that death and disease are sometimes inevitable. And so as much as we know as physicians and as, as healthcare providers, death and disease come. And one of the hardest things to come to grips with as a physician is knowing that when you're caring for a patient, and I do as a radiologist, so I read a lot of exams on patients, but those exams can change people's lives depending on what I'm saying. And also I do some procedures on patients as well using imaging guidance. So those procedures can be life-threatening, they can be challenging, and I've had, we've all had complications. We all have to deal with complications of doing procedures on patients. But um, leading into what I want to talk about is that one of the biggest risks of a doctor is that of being sued. And I haven't been sued once, but I've been sued twice. And both lawsuits involved the loss of a child. Um, radiologists are sued um, a, a significant amount. We're exposed to a lot of patients in the sense that I may see 100 or 150 patients a day when I'm reading exams, whereas some primary care doctors may see 20 or 30 or 40 patients a day. I may see 100 or 150 whenever I'm reading the scans. 
um, and also the patients can't meet me, so they don't know and they can't develop a trust with me to know that I'm doing the very best I can for the patients. I'll say in the two cases that I had, I had expert witness testimony uh, that testified that, that I was within the standard of care, but then there's always these questions, could you have done something different to prevent the death of this child. And so I want to talk about an amazing story, uh, one of godly coincidence in my life that happened through one of the cases that happened at a local hospital. And it was, a, it was the case of a, a young baby that was born premature with significant illness uh, whenever they were born. And I interpreted an exam on the patient, an x-ray, and many other doctors were involved in the care as well. Um, the baby unfortunately passed away a few weeks after birth. So the hospital had a suit against it. Uh, many other doctors had suits against them, and I was in, in, those loss, in that lawsuit. Um, so the bottom line is, is um, we ended up settling. We were counseled because of the circumstances of the case to settle the case. So the case got settled outside of court. And during those two years, though, of going through the lawsuit process, and I don't want to dismiss anything or, or diminish what the mother and father went through in losing their child. But to be blamed for the death of a patient is gut-wrenching, especially whenever you're doing the best you can and you feel like you didn't do anything that caused the harm. And so the issue is you bring home to your wife and to your kids anxiety, depression, anger, resentment, apathy, these, these, these toxic emotions that I lived with for years while I went through that lawsuit process. Uh, my kids probably had no idea what I was going through. My wife did. God bless her. She saw me through that with prayer, with faith, and with consistency. Um, but the bottom line is after two years, the case got settled and, of course, went on with, with my, my life and my practice. Changed, though. Changed. Uh, you know, you get a little bit jaded, but you still, and I, I take my, my, my job seriously, that I, I take it sincerely and, 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 and um, um, very seriously. So I still do the best I can for the patients, but there's always that thought process of, gosh, when's the next thing to happen? But the bottom line is a year later or so, I was working as the pediatric radiologist at this local hospital because we had lost our pediatric radiologist. And I was sitting in the main reading room of the local hospital, that's the radiology reading room, and I got a call from the head x-ray tech at the hospital. And she informed me that my next patient was there to do a procedure on. And I said, okay, and, and uh, what's the story? She said, it's a young child, a baby. And she wanted to let me know that the risk management attorney had called her, the risk management attorney of the hospital had called her and told her, the lead x-ray technologist, to tell me that the mother of the baby that was getting the exam had sued many doctors at the hospital and that she just wanted to let me know that. And I said, okay, um, tell me the name of this patient and patient's mother. And she did. And then I hung up the phone. And immediately, I started pacing the room. I, uh, I paced and paced the radiology reading room. And the emotions that I had from before flooded back in my spirit as quickly as they had left the year or so ago. It was anxiety and anger and um, defensive lists or defense lists, I guess I would say, um, apathy. You know, why am I here? I just want to run. I mean, trembling panic because I've got the person that I felt like put me through two years of trauma and my family 
but God bless, she lost her child, right? So I, I was dealing with all these emotions. And usually in the radiology reading room, there was one or two other radiologists there that I could go to and have them do a procedure if I didn't, couldn't do it. And so I thought, well, that'd be great if someone was here, but guess how many radiologists were in that room other than myself? Zero. I was the only doctor in that room. I was the only person there that could do this procedure. So I kept pacing and pacing, and I kept pacing, and I said, there's no way you're going to have me do this, God. But as quickly as I said that, I was convicted. I was to face her and face this part of my life and turn away from the fear. And so what I did is uh, I, I prayed quickly, and as quickly as that spirit hit me, I turned, and I walked into the x-ray department, and I walked into that patient's room, and I put out my hand, and I said, I'm Dr. Boyette, and I said, I'm so sorry <laughs> about the loss of your child. And I said, I forgive you, and I asked for forgiveness for anything I could have done differently that could have changed the outcome of your child's life. And I said, I'm here to take care of this new child. If you'll let me. And she, and I said, can I we pre, please pray? And so I prayed, and I prayed for forgiveness for us, for the situation, and for God's glory to shine through this situation. And it did. And, you know, our tears both flowed, and I did the procedure. The baby was completely healthy, and she went on her way. But we were both changed by that. I was changed by that. I had a, a, a closure of this process, this, this pain, this unrelenting pain in my life. But kind of showed me that if I hadn't repented and turned from my toxic emotions, my anger, my resentment, my unforgiveness, I never would have seen God's power in this trial, God's deutimus. I mean, that miraculous power, mighty work, that is what he's waiting to show us if we choose. And so I'll ask you today, you know, what do you need to turn from? Is there anything you need to turn away from? A habit, a sin, a level of unforgiveness, or to forgive somebody, yourself or others? Is there something you need to turn to? Is there a battle you haven't fought? A sword you haven't raised yet? And ultimately, who do you need to turn to? And who do you need to run to?